0: Be seated. If you have uh, elementary age kiddos, they can come out these front doors here. First through fourth grade, we'll go out there and go to our Vine Kids program. And if uh, you are a fifth, sixth, or seventh, or eighth grade, or a mid school kid, you can go out these back doors and they will have an awesome Bible study out there led by the one and only uh, Greg Taylor. So, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Brandon Scott. I'm a pastor here at the Vine along with Treb. And so, um, we will be jumping into uh, the finishing, hopefully, John chapter 18 today. That's the plan, anyway. And then we've only got three chapters left, so hopefully we'll be finished by maybe I don't know Easter, and uh, which I doubt actually. But we'll uh, we're going to give it a go. We're just going to keep preaching through John until uh, he stopped writing at the end of 21, and then we'll go on to something else. So, but uh, we're not in a hurry. But we are going to have this encounter with with Jesus and uh, and Pilate today. So, he is gone. We, we are now at the end. We're kind of at the climax of this whole story, right? Uh, we've been through this um, this discourse that Jesus gave, uh, the, the Last Supper, where he did all of this teaching to his disciples. We've we've gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been betrayed with a kiss by one of his own people, by Judas. He has been uh, arrested and brought before uh, before the the uh, the sanhedrin he's been and now he is going before Pilate, this pagan Roman governor or prefect, over Judea, and he is now being brought before sort of the the, the highest earthly government in the land to stand trial he 's been accused of blasphemy he's been found guilty of blasphemy by the sanhedrin the ruling party of the jews but that doesn't really mean much to the romans and so he is now being charged with trumped up charges of basically sedition or treason against the roman empire and that's where we're going to be as we jump into this uh, 33rd verse here of chapter 18. and there's this question you've got right where it seems like jesus here He's now bound and he's been brought before trial. And the Jews think that they're in control, the Sanhedrin. They think that they are getting what they want. They think that they're going to do an end run around the idea so they can get Jesus crucified. That's what they want to do. Pilate thinks he's in control because he's the governor of the land. He's the highest highest ruling guy around. But none of those people are in control. Jesus... The guy who's bound up in front of the guy who has the uh, authority to condemn him to be crucified, he is in absolute control of this entire situation. And so we're going to jump into it and, and, uh, and see this interchange between these two, these two men. But before we do that, we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, uh, what a wonderful time just to sing of the reality that you paid it all, that your substitutionary atonement for us on the cross paid for all of the sin of all of mankind once for all. And we must rest in the incredible and almost unbelievable beauty of that reality. There is nothing that we can do to pay for our sins against a holy God. You did it all. And the only claim that we can make when we stand before you as our judge is that Jesus paid it all. And we are so grateful to just rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Thank you for that, for your death and for your resurrection and for giving us new life. We come to you today to study your word, to see an interaction between Pilate and the Lord Jesus. As you sit in your seat, just ask the Lord to just teach you whatever it is that he wants you to learn this morning. Pray that he would remove whatever barriers are in your mind and in your heart. Pray for someone next to you, behind you. Look at their face. Think think of their face, and just pray for them that the Lord would teach them what he wants them to learn today. Lord, we just thank you for your presence with us. That the Holy Spirit indwells us. We ask you to teach us from your word today. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart right now would be acceptable and pleasing to you my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. Would you be glorified as we worship you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so we are in John 18, verse 33. And um, so the context of this, right, just again, is that Jesus has now gone before, he he gets arrested, he gets brought before, as Treban over a couple weeks ago, he gets brought before Annas, and then before Caiaphas, and and now he's been brought up to, uh, he's been brought up, it's early morning now, on what would for us become Good Friday. And he has now been brought before Pilate. And the Jews bring him up. And remember the last week this great hypocrisy that they would not cross into the palace. And so the, uh, they didn't want to make themselves unclean during this festival time while they were planning the, the murder of the Lamb of God. But they, they don't want to do this. And so Pilate has this incredible exchange with the Jews. And they have all this really deep and ugly history he was brutal to them and they hated one another and now Pilate is actually going to bring Jesus in and question him so that's where we start in verse 33 it says Pilate then went back inside the palace summoned Jesus and asked him are you the king of the Jews is that your own idea Jesus asked or did others talk to you about me am I a Jew Pilate replied it was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Every time we uh, go through a passage, right, there's about a bazillion things we can dig into. So let's just walk through this and see what we come up with. So it says Pilate went back into the palace. Some of your uh, versions may say praetorium. Uh, th- that means it's basically the, 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 his headquarters there in Jerusalem. So he normally spent a, a lot of his time up, up north, and he would come into Jerusalem during the Passover, during a festival time, because a bunch of people were coming in, and he wanted to keep the peace, and he would bring soldiers with him. And uh, most scholars think that he's in uh, one of Herod the Great's, uh, one of his uh, palaces that he had taken over and when they, as, they, uh, as he comes into town. So, which is very close in the same area of town that Caiaphas' house was. So, Jesus, they're walking all over the place here. He's within a couple hundred yards of, of where he'd been under trial. So, it says he summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? So, he, he's just got done talking with the Jews. And he has to come back inside his palace and he says, Bring Jesus in. And he asks him a, just a really direct question Are you the king of the Jews? And so it seems like a yes or no question. If you were asked me, are you the king of the Jews? I would say no, because I'm not. Jesus, of course, who is in absolute control of the situation, he answers Pilate, who has all authority given to him by Jesus to put him to death. He asks him a question instead of answering his question. He says, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? So he's asking this because the answer to the question is really important, right? Because Pilate is saying, are you the king of the Jews? He's trying to figure out why do these guys hate Jesus so much? Why does all these Jewish rulers, why do they want him dead? He understands fully that they want to kill him and they want Pilate to do it. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And the question is, are you who they say you are? They say, because they're saying that Jesus is a blasphemer, And that he is then uh, like a seditionist, or he is committing treason by saying that he has a rightful throne that he can climb onto and and challenge Roman imperial authority over the region. That's what the Jews are charging him with. So when he says, is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me, Jesus is trying to clarify his question. Trying to say, listen, if you mean am I this? The answer is no. If you mean, am I the Messiah, the king of the Jews? Yes. And so Pilate responds pretty derisively, am I a Jew? I mean, really? Why are you asking me these questions? He replies, if it was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. Pilate is, he is a, he is a pagan governor. He does not, that, in the Jews have just been incredibly stiff-necked and incredibly difficult to govern. They just keep bucking all of the, uh, the Roman authority over them. And he says it's your people and your chief priests. So it's really interesting that, that John writes this in here. Because this idea that both the, the nation of Israel as a whole and also all of the chief religious ruling party had officially rejected their messiah and then handed them over to this secular government for trial and, and, and death. And then he asked this other direct question, what is it you have done? So you expect Jesus to say, well, I mean, I was, I was born of Mary, I did all this stuff, miracles, you not read the news, I mean, you've got all these things. I'm sure Pilate had probably heard of Jesus. And Pilate is not asking, what have you done, like, What what did you do this week? Can I see your agenda? What he means is, why do they want to kill you? Because they very clearly want Jesus dead. Not by stoning either. That would be their normal way of killing. Would be by stoning. But they want Jesus crucified because as, for a whole bunch of reasons, one, it fulfills an enormous amount of prophecy. But they wanted Jesus to be cursed. And they wanted him to suffer. They hated him. And so Jesus asks, uh, does not ask a question. He instead answers his question, but not very directly. In verse 36, it says, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. Or, but now my kingdom is from another place. It's probably a better way to read that. So the word kingdom there might be better translated kingship. It has this idea of... um, really of, of, of royal power, of the authority to rule and govern. Uh, people would not, we don't really have a very good idea of kingship or, or king, kingly rule here. We are under a government that is supposed to be by the people in, uh, and, and for the people, where we elect people to lead us, and then they help lead us. They're supposed to be servant leaders of the country. We don't have a king over us. And so this idea for us is sort of, we as Americans definitely bristle at this kingly authority. But Jesus is really saying that my, my kingdom, not necessarily his, the, the plot of land where he is reigning, but my authority to reign as king isn't from here. And he says, listen, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. It's interesting. He says that they would, and they did. I mean, Peter right tried to lop the guy's ear off, but it didn't. That's not what Jesus wants. Because that's how an earthly kingdom works, right? If, if someone was trying to take Pilate out, he would sick all these Roman soldiers on him and they would fight to defend Pilate. That's how earthly kingdoms work. You've got a guy in authority, he's got people. Some other guy in authority tries to take this other guy in authority's power. He sends his people after their people and they fight and whoever wins, wins. Not so in God's economy. His kingdom is not of this world. But now my kingdom is from another place. So Pilate's over here, it's early morning, He's trying to get to work. He just wants to get, deal with this problem, keep the Jews from making a big mess of things, and go, I don't know, have him a, a, a mimosa or whatever he did in the morning. He doesn't, he's not really, he doesn't really care that injustice is being done. He doesn't. He's not all that, it's not like he's trying to set Jesus free because I don't think of a moral, we get no indication of that in the text. I think he just wants to keep the Jews from rioting. Because if they riot, all of a sudden he's got huge problems. He's got a sin guy. They already hate him. And he's just trying to keep them from hating him just at a murmur. But if it comes to a roar, he's got big issues. So he's asking Jesus, listen, what did you, what did you do that makes them want to kill you? And Jesus' answer is, the authority that I have to reign is not from here. And basically, I'm from another world. Which is an odd answer, Right? my kingdom is from another place my kingdom is not of this world you've got to be wondering what is Pilate thinking he's like okay i just want to know why they hate you and now you're what like you're from cleveland i mean where are you from why do you say it's not from here what doesn't even make any sense what do you mean and so he says in verse 30 says and like you are a king then so good so i can i can finally do this and jesus answers he says you are right In saying I am a king, because he is a king. In fact, he says, for this reason I was born. See, Jesus didn't, he didn't get his kingship, he didn't get his authority from any human, anybody. Matter of fact, his authority is, he has all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to Jesus. All the authority that exists in the created order is Jesus's. There is no one who has authority outside of the triune God. There's no Uh, force or area or being that has authority that is outside of god's authority because if there were whatever that being is would be god he is omnipotent he is all-powerful he is omniscient he knows all things and the application of his knowledge and his power give him authority over all things and so jesus is saying i am a king I came into this world because I was a king, and then he says to do what? He's a very interesting kind of king. What do kings generally do? Kings are born and then they reign, they expand their kingdom, they maintain their kingdom, or they they send out explorers to go and conquer other places. What did he come to do? To testify to the truth. You remember way back in John chapter 1, where John's given this incredible introduction and he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth. And then Jesus says later on in, uh, in chapter 3, when he says, I don't remember, I lost my place. I remember where he says that. Anyway, the, I saw the idea that Jesus is full of truth. He came to do what? To testify to the truth. How many times has Jesus said, I'm, I'm just saying what my Father's saying? He says it over and over and over in this book. The Father, I'm coming with this one singular message faith in me is salvation. That's, that's his message. He's coming to testify to the truth. Well, what is the truth? The truth is that humanity is fallen and broken, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. He then testified to the truth that He is God, that He is the Messiah, that He is coming to save all mankind, and that by faith in Him we can have eternal life, and then He backed that up by the things that He did. And then He says this, everyone on the side of truth listens to me or hears my voice, isn't that fascinating? It's like, well, how do you know that you're on the side of truth? Well, you do what Jesus says. Well, that, that, I mean, that's, that won't make anybody mad nowadays, right? Um, just kidding. I mean, like, if you do, go, go say that. Put that on a t-shirt and see who gets mad at you. Say, uh, you know, you, just put this verse on there. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, Jesus, and wear that shirt around. And see how many people are happy with you at the end of the day. I mean, I'll be super pumped for you. I'll be like, yeah, go get them. But not everybody else will be excited for you. Why is that? Um, The truth of the gospel is offensive to a dying world. It just is. Because it says to a fallen humanity, you are not enough. You cannot save yourself. You cannot create a structure to save yourself. You cannot create systems to heal your brokenness. None of that will work. You must have God to heal you. You must have God to save you. You cannot do it. Only God can do it. And so you trust in God with your life, and you trust him that you are not enough, and that he is, and that what he did on the cross was sufficient to pay for all your sins, and you come to faith by believing that what he did was enough. It's incredibly offensive to a lost person. To us who are being saved, right? It's the most marvelous thing in the world. And then Pilate has this very interesting response. A lot has been made of this question, right? I don't think, I don't think Pilate is asking this, well, I I want Pilate to be asking this really deep existential, like, question about what is truth. But I think he's just pretty cynical. That would be my guess. He is a, he's a Roman politician. He lies all the time. People lie to him all the time. The Jews are lying to him right now about Jesus' charges, and he knows it. So he's like, what is it? Does it even matter? And he goes that again to the Jews, and he says a final find no basis for a charge against him. Because, of course, there wasn't one. But it's interesting, And in, back in verse 37, it says... Jesus says, "You're right in saying this. I came to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me." And it's almost like you can imagine Jesus and Pilate. They're standing there, and Pilate's basically saying, "Are you a king? What did you do to make him so mad?" And Jesus says, I- "I'm a king from another place, and I came to tell the truth. And everyone who's on the side of the truth listens to my words." And you can just see him looking at Pilate, and I want Pilate to go, "I believe." I believe that you are who you say you are. That you testify the truth. I want Pilate to fall down on his knees and worship Jesus. But he doesn't. If he did fall down on his knees and worship Jesus and say, Jesus, you're my Lord, Jesus would say, Welcome, follow me now. I want you to um, convict me and send me to the cross because that is what I'm doing. That is not what happens. But Jesus is inviting Pilate. It's incredible, right? He's on trial for his life, which I would be nervous about. Jesus is not. He instead continues to testify to the truth. And Pilate, in his cynicism, just literally sees the truth right in front of him. The embodiment of all grace and truth is standing in front of him. And his response to his imitation is, what is truth? It's what the world does every day. So in verse 39, it says, it is your custom for me to release you to, uh, to one prisoner, at, uh, to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. I don't know if it was something that they came up with uh, in order to, like an exchange between the, like, the Passover lamb, but they did it during Passover. And he, he says, do you want me to release, he has this great idea, right, Pilate does, listen He's like, I've got this guy Barabbas. They want to kill somebody. What if I, if I let him kill Barabbas, this guy didn't do anything. I'll let him go because we know from other, other Gospels that his wife has already come in and told him, hey, I had a bad dream about this. Wash your hands of this. And Pilate literally washes his hands and says, have, I, want to have, I want to wash my hands of this. I want to get this done and I want to get back to work. And he comes and he says, this great idea, I'll give them Barabbas. They'll kill Barabbas. They'll get it out of their system. Jesus goes free. I go back to do whatever I'm doing. Everybody stays happy. Then he says, do you want to release to me the king of the Jews? He just cannot keep from making an incendiary comment. I mean, it is so offensive to them. And you'll remember later, he's going to put that above the cross. He's going to make that Jesus' title. He's going to write it on a board and put it up there. And the Jews are going to say, please don't put that up there. And he's going to say, you know what? What's done is done. He is just constantly turning the knife in their back. He just can't get away from it. So, do you want to release to you the King of the Jews? Because he'd asked Jesus before, "Hey, who are you? Are you a king? Because honestly, you don't look like one." Jesus was, if the Gospels or if 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 Isaiah is correct, he didn't look like anybody normally. May have actually been kind of hard on the eyes. He didn't look. They didn't even know that he was. Looked. He didn't look any different from the rest of the disciples. He didn't stand out. He wasn't tall or handsome. He wasn't the guy, right? And so he's looking at this. Poor Galilean carpenter saying, you're the, really, you're the king of the Jews? And so they shouted back, because they're not in a talking mood anymore, in verse 40. No, not him, give us Barabbas. So the name Barabbas, Bar in, uh, in, in Aramaic meant son of and, and Abba. His name is Barabbas, son of a father. That's his name. Give us Barabbas, son of a father. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. We know from other gospels that he had basically been—he had been a—he uh, was a, a treasonous rebel, an insurrectionist, and a murderer. So I'm going to class that guy. But he's this is the guy that Pilate wants to exchange for Jesus. They don't want to have anything to do with it. And he says, "Give us Barabbas. You take Jesus and set Barabbas free." So what do we do with all this? Um, Sometimes truth is uh, standing right in front of us and we don't even see it. It's exactly what happened to Pilate. Literally, the embodiment, the incarnation of grace and truth is standing in front of Pilate and he, he doesn't see it. Now, I know that his eyes are darkened. I realize that Pilate is, I know all these things. But I also know that Jesus wants Pilate to worship him. He dies for Pilate's sins. And the truth is standing right in front of him, and he can't even see it. And it happens to me all the time. So my car gets, uh, for some reason, gets water in it when it rains. I don't know how yet. I'm trying to figure that out. If you're a super genius mechanic, please come over and tell me why. But uh, it's getting just like little spots in the floorboards. I don't know why. It drives me crazy. I've dried it out. Like I have to stick a leaf blower, pry the carpet up, blow it out with a leaf blower. It's very annoying. So I thought I got it all dry. Bought these little dampered things to put in the car, and they smell super crazy. It gives me a headache florally, but it's better than, I guess, the other smell. But my wife goes to move my car yesterday, and she comes back, and she's like, your car stinks. And I was like, no, I did the, I blew fans, and I put the, so I don't smell it anymore. And uh, I needed someone who doesn't always smell my car to go into my car and say, yeah, your car stinks. You got a problem. You got mold in the floor. You got to deal with it. Uh, this is life, right? I can't see something on my face without a mirror. And if I have food on my face and I got a cheese hanging off my beard and I don't see it, I, I need you to tell me. If we're sitting there and I've got a giant hunk of, of lettuce stuck in my tooth and I don't know it, I need you to just say, hey, brother, lettuce, tooth, get it out. So that way I don't, it, it helps, right? That's a very kind thing to do. It's also good when someone comes up to me and says, hey, Brandon, yeah, you were, um, I saw you talking to your kids, and that was super harsh, and you shouldn't talk to your kids like that. Hey, I saw how you were dealing with your wife. Um, I wasn't kind. You need to be kind to her, because she's really good to you. Uh, You didn't know this, but I was behind you, standing behind you while you were checking out, and you were really rude to the checkout lady. Um, be, Be kind to her. Be kind to one another. Ephesians 4.32, my kids have a song, they sing about it. We need... We need the body to tell us, I need someone to tell me the truth. Because sometimes it's standing right in front of me and I don't even see it. This is why life groups are important. It's why fellowship is important. It's why we're part of a body. It's why the the eye can look at the foot and say, hey, um, something's wrong that you may not feel, but I see. And the eye can look at the hand and say, hey, you got this dark spot on there? Go to the doctor right now. And it can, we need one another To point out the truth in one another's lives this is what it means to be authentic see we it's a huge concept in our society today everybody wants authenticity everybody wants everyone else to be authentic but i don't want you to be authentic to me because that means you're going to have to call me out sometimes and i don't really want that but the truth of the gospel is that we need one another to tell us the truth and we need to speak it to one another in love that is the gospel way there's this one way where you just hammer me with information you're like oh my gosh I saw you you were in the checkout line I can't believe you did that why did you treat that I thought you were a Christian not helpful okay and then there's the other side that says well he was probably having a bad day I don't really need to talk to him about it I'll just I'll just be quiet I'll just pray for him that's not helpful either what we need is speaking the truth in love to one another which guess what it ain't easy and sometimes you might speak the truth to me and i'm like you know what shut up i don't want to hear it uh, and you say you know what? you're still still being a jerk but i'll stop talking so but it's 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 how authentic relationships in the body of christ work it's one of the ways that we are different than the world it's how iron sharpens iron and when you do that there are sparks by the way it's not stone sharpens iron it's iron sharpens iron sparky don't be afraid of the sparks I'd rather have a church full of sparks because we are sharpening one another and have people who are sharpened by one another than a bunch of dull nothings walking around looking like the rest of the world. Sometimes there are things that the Lord is convicting us of as we're reading the Bible. It's brutal. When the Lord convicts you of something, that tiny whisper in your heart, and he's putting the truth right in front of you, in the words of the Bible, don't run away from it. Press into it. Press into that pain. Press into that reality. Can you imagine if Pilate standing before Jesus, Jesus says everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. If Pilate had said I'm a a wicked sinner. Save me Jesus. I mean how awesome would that be? Right? That would be incredibly awesome. He doesn't because he has a hard heart. But that is what the Lord wants. He wants us to see the truth standing right in front of us and he wants us to follow him in it. The second thing that caught my attention is that um, every one of us is Barabbas, right? So, Barabbas is entirely guilty. He was a murderer, and a thief, and a treasonous insurrectionist. He had kicked off and rebelled against the authority of the government over him, and which at times is, is, is okay, by the way. But he had done that And he had murdered someone in in an uprising. I don't know who all he murdered. And the Roman authorities captured him, tried him, and then he was going to get killed. That's every one of us. I am as guilty as Barabbas against treason, against the throne of heaven. I kick off every day the authority, the rightful authority of Christ's reign over me. When he looks at Pilate and he says, you are, you are a king. And Jesus says, you are right in saying, I am a king. We throw the word king around that Jesus actually has all authority in heaven and on earth. That includes over my own heart. And yet I am guilty of, of rebellion against the king of heaven every single day. He paid for that sin on the cross, but it is a constant struggle. That's what the Bible calls the flesh. In one idea, I think the flesh is my desire to rule my own life. Be that in my finances, be that in whatever. There's a, you can just put that in a giant category. Whenever I'm fighting to rule my own life, that's the flesh. And it's sin against the king of heaven. And it is something that there does no, there's never been a day that goes by that I was conscious, that I remember that I have not had to go before the Lord and climb off the throne and say, Jesus, take the throne, because I am a really, really bad king. I will run my life right into the ditch. Do you see what's being exchanged here? Barabbas, son of a father. Jesus, son of God. On this side, you've got Jesus. Look at, just imagine the the juxtaposition between these two men. Jesus is the son of God. Barabbas is the son of a father. Jesus is literally the only perfect person who's ever lived. He is a murderous, treasonous, insurrectionist, guilty on every count. Jesus is there to die for the sins of the world. Barabbas is trying to murder guys to get his own way. I'm Barabbas. I was guilty, and Jesus comes up and he takes our place. There is this great exchange that happens on the cross that instead of me or my wife or my child being nailed to the cross for their sins, Jesus did it. That is reason to worship him alone, that he would do that for me, that he would do that for you. And we look at Jesus oftentimes, and I... This is horrible to confess, but almost like him. You know what, Lord, I had a pretty good day. I'm doing pretty good on my own. Maybe the cross wasn't really necessary. All that pain. All that exchange. Give us Barabbas, they cry. On a quick side note... don't ever take barabbas okay always take jesus in this exchange you don't want me you don't want whatever whoever's up here preaching or writing a book or singing a song they're a barabbas just like you and i it doesn't matter how good looking they are or how well they can speak or how well they can write or how influential they are nobody is a greater speaker than satan nobody is a better writer than the devil himself and yet jesus is over here and he is the one who must be preached it is he and he alone who is the head of the church. So, this whole concept of, well, he said this, or Piper said this, or MacArthur said this, I don't care what they said, and neither does Jesus. I want to know what Jesus says in the Bible. Whatever someone else says is great. Many people have written many marvelous books, learn from them, but only hold God's word over here. I'm done with that tangent. Last question I want to ask is that Jesus claims to be a king, and he is. When you look forward to um, you know, I'm reading a lot, and some people say that Jesus here is just claiming king, like kingly authority over the hearts of men. Yes, he's claiming that. But he's also a king like a king is a king. And when he comes back in Revelation and he's crowned with many crowns and written on his thigh as a word that only he alone knows and he comes back, he's not coming back to stand before a pagan prefect and get sentenced to death. He's coming back to reign as the king of kings. And we are his servants. There's a psalm written a long time ago, Psalm 24, that asks a great question. And uh, Third Day actually sang a really great song after this title. So Psalm 24, try right after Psalm 23, by the way, which is very famous. David writes this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. That's a pretty hefty claim. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything and every person on this planet, they're God's. I mean, you start living that thing out, and all of a sudden, everything gets changed. If we actually, if I went to my house, and I'm like, Lord, I'm going to mow your grass today. I'm going I'm to take care of your children today. Uh, I'm going I'm to pay bills with the money that you gave me. I'm going to go to the job you gave me today. I'm going to sit under this tree that you made. I'm going to look at the sky that you created. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Utter dominion, utter authority. In verse 7, it says this, and it's this really beautiful poetic picture of, it's this idea of you've got this king coming up to a city, and there's this great gate, and there's somebody inside, and then the king is outside. And so they say, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. It's like a herald in front of the king, right? Saying, hey, gates, be lifted up, ancient doors, open So that the king of glory may come in. And then in verse 8, they ask this question. Well, who is this king of glory? It's like you see them from inside the city asking, Well, you want him? Who is he? And the herald outside says again, He is the Lord, Yahweh, strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. So lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And then they ask again, Well, who is he, this king of glory? And they answer again, The Lord Almighty... He is the king of glory. When Jesus said, You are right in saying that I am a king, he is the king of glory. We have no right to stand inside of our little protected happy walls with my ancient gates and my ancient doors and say, Stay the hell out of here, Jesus. I don't want you in here at all. I'm going to stay in here. I'm going to build my little realm and I'm going to make myself happy. All the while, Jesus is outside saying, I am the king of glory. I am the Lord Almighty. I am the king of glory. Open the gate. It is the call to every unbeliever. If you're hearing my voice right now and you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, he is calling you to him now. He is the king of glory. Open the gate of your heart to him. Let him come into your life and save you from your sin. If you are a believer... He is still the king of glory, and he rightfully reigns on your heart. Every day, we have to wake up and say, Jesus, king of glory, come in and reign. Reign over my attitudes, reign over my finances, reign over my family, reign over my work. Every breath I have, I want to breathe in your sovereign reign and I want to breathe out your sovereign reign because I am not my own. He sits outside the city walls and he is saying, the king of glory, open up you gates and be lifted up you ancient doors. I love reading about Jesus in the gospels. It's hard, it was really hard this week to read this passage because you know what's coming, right? The shadow of Jesus' suffering and death is over this entire circumstance. And yet he's standing before Pilate, saying, Everyone who hears, who is of the truth, hears the truth and obeys it. And Pilate, in his cynicism, turns away. Do not let your cynicism of whatever the church has done to you in the past. Whatever someone else has said to you, do not let that cynicism hole you up inside your walls when the King of Glory wants in. Let's pray. Jesus, King of Glory, whose name I do not feel worthy to speak, thank you for your love for us. You are such a good King. I thank you for your just magnificent reign Thank you that you give us the privilege of serving in your kingdom of calling out the name of jesus i call on you to be saved and i call on you to to fill me with your power by your mighty spirit every day as we are just sitting here as you are listening to my voice if there is a fight for the throne of your heart, would you give up right now? Surrender to the king of glory. If you have never accepted him as your savior, surrender to the king of glory. Believe on him and be saved. Call out to him as your Lord and savior. If you have believed and you have never surrendered over the reins of your life to Jesus, do it now. And if you've done it in the past and there's something in your life that the truth is sitting right in front of you, but I don't know what it is. But if God has put the truth right in front of your face right now about something you need to surrender to him, surrender it to him now. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. O King of glory, We open up the ancient doors, come in and reign. In Christ's name we pray.